0: Get ready, it's time for Motorsports Madness, powered by the staff at RaceChaser Online. Your motorsports, your way, every day. And now, here's your host, Jacob Seelman.
1: Oh hi, that's me. I think I'm supposed to talk now. Hi y'all, Jacob Seelman, Managing Editor at RaceChaserOnline.com, where we give you your motorsports, your way, and you're listening to Motorsports Madness. Here on the Performance Motorsports Network, I have a cast of thousands, or, well, three is not exactly thousands, but... It's enough. Tom Baker, James Pike, Cisco Scaramuza at a round table talking racing and specifically we'll start off this show talking about Texas because Tom knows everything's bigger in Texas. And you know what? I liked what you said to me earlier today. Kevin Harvick's pass of Martin Truex was Texas-sized and it was a moment that made me go
2: Wow, the 78 is not infallible. Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, good to be back on the show again. Uh, Back for another week of Motorsports Conversation here. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Honestly, I was a little blown away by it. You could see that Kevin was catching him very quickly, and interestingly enough, he kind of gave away his secret. Well, he really gave away Kyle Larson's secret that he uh, observed earlier in the race about how deep Kyle was driving the car into turns one and two. And he really, Kevin didn't feel like he had the brake power necessarily or the brake endurance to to do it for the entire race. He was a little concerned about that. So he kind of saved it, I think, in his uh, the back of his mind until he needed it at the end of the race and then used it to chase Drex down. Of course, Martin was in traffic and not necessarily having a good time in traffic. And... Uh, I think that was really the the difference right there was that Kevin was able to run him down and take advantage of Martin's traffic troubles, and then just get to the outside of him. He got got him a little loose, I think, and got to the outside of I him. Mean, just drove right by him and left. I mean, that was he did. You know, the word hubris has been used here in our chat. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Kevin really showed a lot of hubris in making that move and making it work. And it kind of, I think, burst. Martin's bubble a little bit. Now, the mystique of Mile and a Half Martin, there's a little chink in that armor. I think that if we get to Homestead, you've got three guys already basically in the Final Four that are very different in their personalities, but two of them are very, very brash and very strong, and Martin is very quiet. Not to say weak, but just quiet. And this is Martin's first go around, Jacob. It's not going to be the first for either Kyle or Kevin, and both of them have come out on top in that race. So I think this is going to be really interesting, number one, to see who the fourth guy is, but then, you know, also to see how this all plays out. But that was quite a move, and it's definitely something that, you know, took a lot of confidence on Kevin's part to pull it off. And, you know, once he realized that he had the ability to drive that deep into the corner, it kind of set that whole thing up for him to be able to do that. James
1: Pike, how big of a statement win was Sunday for Kevin Harvick? Not only in the fact that, oh, by the way, that was his first win all year on an oval,
3: but the timing. And let's not forget his first in 30 career cup starts at Texas. So uh impressive I think in that sense as well. But I come away from Sunday's race, and this is my big takeaway. In a world where it looks like Jimmy Johnson just doesn't have the speed at all to make it to homestead. And for the first time all year I feel generally comfortable in saying he probably won't be racing for the championship for him, somebody else has got to assume that role of you don't necessarily think about them every single week and you don't necessarily consider them the outright favorite to win the championship but they're good enough that they're just going to be able to kind of hang around in the background and sneak up on you and if the things go right come race day down in Miami it might just kind of work out for them that's what happened to Johnson last year when he won the title and Boy, if Harvick doesn't look like that guy this year because they've been very quietly good, I think, all uh-huh. year long in, in a year where all the talk has been. Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr. They've been right there for a good chunk of it. And Kevin said it a lot post-race that the mile-and-a-half program has, and I think rightfully so and correctly, uh, so, improved considerably since the beginning of the season. And I look at all that and I think, you know, maybe, just maybe, if, you know, Harvick plays pitch strategy right or finds just that little extra bit of speed, he might just go down to Homestead and steal this thing.
2: Well, you make great points, and I agree with everything you just said. Kevin Harvick, it's like he's been sort of just beyond the crowd all year. He's been not contending for wins but he's been top five top ten he's been very consistent and he's kind of just been a very good um i guess you could call it endurance racer over the course of the season he's been very uh durable and and has done very well and if you look at the stats of top fives and top tens he's right in there with everybody else but this is only his second win and i think what the key is jacob to this is Exactly what James said and what Kevin said over the weekend. They have improved the mile-and-a-half program late in the season Mm -hmm. into the playoffs. They're peaking at the right time. Jimmy Johnson, not a good performance. I don't see Jimmy Johnson now. I'm not going to say never because we've seen this before, but I don't see it happening for him. He's got to win Phoenix, and I don't see it this year.
1: But here's the deal. And we'll get to this a little later in the show. Everybody that's not already locked into Homestead has to win Phoenix. Yeah, the but... only way you control your own destiny for any of the remaining five guys Keslowski, Elliot, Blaney, Johnson, and Hamlin but of those is to five win.
2: Guys... Do you really have faith that Jimmy Johnson's going to score more total points and enough more total points than those five guys to make up that difference? And
1: do you really
2: believe he can win?
1: Here's the deal. It's not about points. That's what I'm saying. This whole scenario, points are gone. It does not matter how many points that you score on Sunday. No, 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 no. Somebody's
2: getting in on points.
1: No, that's not. The only way somebody's getting in on points is if nobody wins. My point is the only way that any of those five guys control their own destiny is to win the race. All of the guys below the cut line are 19 points or more behind the cut line. I don't think it is feasible for any of those drivers to point their way in, period.
2: But if none of those guys
1: point their way win, win. Okay. then brad keselowski's in brad yep. keselowski okay. is the only this guy is what i'm
2: saying so when i look at those five guys what i asked you was do you believe that jimmy johnson based on the whole body of work at this point and where he is now as opposed to where he was months ago do you believe jimmy johnson goes out and beats those five guys and wins that race to get in, because I at just Phoenix
1: don't see it. At Phoenix? Absolutely, given his track record. I believe he's capable of doing it. I also, by the way, believe that sheer speed at this racetrack does not necessarily matter as much. Oh, Case in enough. point, several times in the last few years, Ryan Newman did it in April, Cisco... You know, we've seen several guys steal a victory. Clint Boyer almost did it. Jeff Gordon did it. It wasn't a playoff win, obviously. But this track has been known for guys being able to use strategy to win races. I believe the 48 team, because they're desperate and they have to play any card that they can, can win this race. Except there's
4: one little thing that I'm thinking about yesterday that stopped all that from happening. And it was the fact that the 48, when they had the opportunity to make a strategy call and stay out during one of the cautions and would have gotten laps back and had it work out, they didn't. And Jimmy, to me, in that post-race interview said there was some sort of master plan. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't know. That is setting alarm bells off for me, Tom, because that doesn't seem like a driver who's really sure where he should be right now.
2: And this, I think, really says it all right now about that team. And it was the point was made on a couple of different occasions yesterday by different people. They're not used to strategizing from desperation. They're used to strategizing from a little bit closer to comfort competitive and and more in control and basically being able to make the field follow them right now they're following the field and trying to keep up with a lot of cars that are faster and more consistent than they are from week to week Jacob so this is really going to be interesting to watch
1: it will be I want to make one more point Cisco by the way when you talk about the inverse of the Jimmy Johnson factor and it's guys who may have saved themselves the one guy, actually, who is in on points right now. If Brad Keselowski goes to Homestead and nobody, you know, nobody wins Phoenix to bump him out, he saved himself coming back from contact with Kyle Busch on lap one to rally all the way back into the top ten. Otherwise, he's probably in single digits or potentially even outside the championship picture, and you're talking a whole different scenario.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, JGR's shown a lot of speed at Phoenix Phoenix in the past, so he would have gone up against probably Denny Hamlin Uh going into Phoenix, and Uh that would have been interesting.
1: It would have been, and now it may still be. We don't know, but we're going to find out here in about six days. Right now, though, what we're going to do is take our first break. When we come back, we'll continue talking the Cup Series and hear from race winner Kevin Harvick. You're listening to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
5: Hi, I'm Matt Tift, and you're listening to Race Talk
8: on
1: the Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. James Pike approves that message from Matt Tift. And Tom Baker and Cisco Scaramuza also here at the roundtable as we talk racing. And we will continue talking the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series from Texas because, as we were talking about before we went to break... Jimmy Johnson has not been good in this round. He's been decent every other round. He's been not good at all this round. They lacked speed at Martinsville. They lacked speed at Texas. Both tracks where Jimmy Johnson has traditionally been stellar, especially in the playoffs. Tom, the question that I continue to just sit here, scratch my head, and ask myself is, Why? I mean, I can't figure out why they're just so bad the last two weeks.
2: Well, which team are we talking about specifically? The 48. Oh, okay. I thought you were going broader than that. No, the 48. Uh, Johnson, I don't know what the problem is, and thats it's really hard to believe a team that's won seven championships— But I think it's more emblematic of the season they've had. They've been just a step behind. And, you know, he's had his share of wins early in the season. But by and large, Jimmy Johnson has not been, for the most part, a threat to win most of the time. I mean, you know, he's the type of racer this year that has flashes of brilliance more so than consistent brilliance, but he's done enough obviously to get him to the point where he's at. And as I've said all along, Mm -hmm. if he can find a way to get himself to Homestead, look out because in a one race scenario, you can never count him out. But I just, I think right now they're just in a different place over there. They're not used to being this far out of the loop. And So they're trying to make calls out of a sense of catching up rather than... And that's, you know, who knows? I mean, he could go to Phoenix and be great. But, boy, there's so much competition this year, guys. And that, you know, Jacob, it's really a different kind of a season this year.
1: It really is. I think it's been... Good different in a way, but very different than what we're used to. Now, speaking of different, getting back to Kevin Harvick and Stuart Haas, James, I think this win is such a statement, not just for Kevin Harvick, who really lived up to his nickname of the closer again over the weekend. But stop and think, this is the first year for SHR since switching to Ford, And they've put a car in contention for the championship. That, to me, shows just how far they were able to bring that transition in so short a time. I really didn't believe at the start of the season that a run like this was going to be feasible for them, at least not a championship run. And yet, here they are.
3: I'm trying to remember what I said at the beginning of the year. I think I said that Harvick would be in contention for multiple races and that it might take them a little while to figure things out. But. I think eventually they're going to do it. And I certainly don't think they've got things figured out as well as Toyota have on a week-to-week basis, but I don't know. For now. the most part, I, I it's it's close. It's it's definitely closer now than it was earlier in the season, which is I think all you can ask for in the build up to the race at Miami. But uh, no, they've they've been very very good. It helps that Ford gave them oodles and oodles of money to help be very, very good. Well, uh, but that's also a testament, I think, to the people that Tony Stewart and Joe Custer and Greg Zavadelli have been able to bring on and Gene Haas, too. Well, you know, this is an organization that has transformed in the past decade because of the people that have come on board. Yeah. You, I- say, you know, 10 years ago that they would have been able to do something like this, I would have laughed you in the face because they just didn't have the personnel. But now, you know, a huge change like this, a manufacturer change, they go out, they bust it out, make it happen, no sweat. And honestly, it kind of feels like we're back where we were last year the year before with them, which sounds small to some degree when you look at it one light. But I think the massiveness and the way they've made that such a non-issue this year Uh, is absolutely worth commending because it ends up falling in the category of no news is good news, I think. And when it doesn't become a huge issue and you just kind of chug along with it the same way you have, you're probably doing something right.
2: Well, I I think, James, that it is. I mean, money's a part of it, certainly. And Ford, I'm sure they paid dearly to get Stuart Haas over, Jacob. But at the end of the day, I think Ford was there. I mean, Penske Mm -hmm. has never been bad. You know, it's they've never they've been off at times, and certainly the twenty two team has struggled in a number of ways this year. But it's not I don't believe it's performance based on anything Ford's doing. You know, this has never been to me about anything other than them having to have time to catch up to the new equipment and get used to its nuances. And once they settled in, the second half of the year, it's been better and better and better. And even Quint Boyer's performance yeah. has gone up, and Kurt Busch is, I mean, Kurt just Set pole at a a, tr- a, a record speed, two hundred miles an hour. Yeah. fastest this mile and a half, you know. I mean, it's there, Jacob. For it them, is. it's there, and I and I don't I I don't think any of us should be surprised that they're where they are at this point in the year. And I think if we had ten or fifteen more races, you'd see a much different um, balance there of you know Ford versus Toyota at this point.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, a happy winner was. Not only Happy Harvick, but also had a lot to say after the race. So rather than us keep expounding on it, we're going to let you hear from Kevin Harvick himself. Because well, everything's bigger in Texas, and certainly Kevin Harvick's post-race conversation was pretty big.
9: Really, really proud of uh, everybody at Stuart haas Racing. But yeah, the the last 50 laps were uh, were, were definitely uh, entertaining. I would I would say from the inside of the car, just because of the fact that you know I had to I had to get by the 22, I had to get by the 11, and Really, uh, lap traffic helped me get to the, the 78 quicker than I probably should have just because of the fact that, um, you know, he got held up a little bit. So that, that allowed me to start seeing where his weaknesses were and um, adapted a little bit to, um, you know, the, the things that he was struggling with, trying to get to him uh, to the into the uh, turn one and, and to the center of the corner, and I felt like that was his weakness. And, you know, so for, for me, I had to change a little bit um, – on the entry in, in really both corners and, and just maintained through three. And he got hung up a little bit off of four uh, in lap traffic. And I was close enough. And I knew that, that I might not get another opportunity. So I drove it in there. And um, he got he got a little bit loose. And, and I slid up the racetrack and, and was able to have plenty of grip when, when I slid up the racetrack and, and put the throttle down and was able to get beside him. And I, I thought that I could get through three and four um, just as good through the middle. I'd done that a couple times through the day. It wasn't my preferred groove, but um, at that particular point, you just got to hang it out there and see what happens. So it all worked out.
3: I know there's great satisfaction to winning getting the title race. Is there any extra satisfaction in
9: shutting Eddie up? Look, every time I come to Texas, and, and this has been kind of an, it's an ongoing joke. Eddie and I have a good relationship, but it's been an ongoing joke every time I come here, and you know, you pull in the motorhome lot, and you see the bag sitting out outside the door, and the note you got a handwritten note, and and surely there's some wise crack in there that, um, you know, refers to not being in victory lane. But he's always been very supportive, but you know, he he definitely he definitely has held that over my head for about 17 years, um, you know, since I started. So it's uh, it's nice to uh, to get that monkey off our back. And and look, we've we've qualified well here, we've raced well here since I've been at Stewart Haas, and um. I don't know, we've won six or seven Xfinity races and truck races and so to uh to kind of you know, complete that that whole um sweep of, of winning in all the divisions is is something that, that's cool. But you know, I think that the timing of it is 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 probably the best thing. Um, you know, I think not having to go to Phoenix and count points and try to win the race and do all the things that, that you that you might have to do, especially in this scenario, because you know, if it wasn't me it could have been could have very easily been the 11 car and you know that puts everybody in a bad spot uh going to going to Phoenix and you know so I think with three cars locked in I mean you have to go there with the mindset if you're not already in you have to go there with the mindset of of winning the race and that's that's hard to do it's hard to it's hard to say that I I don't have any other option um other than to win the race now mentally that's sometimes easier you know I think as as you look at the guys that are way back in the points going there just knowing that your strategy is purely to, to win the race. Um, sometimes being in the middle of the road is a little bit harder. Um, when you think you need to win the race, but you might make it in on points, that's almost, that's almost harder because you, you, you get stuck in the middle from a strategy standpoint. So it's, um, it's good timing. You know, I think um, you know, for, for us, the mile-and-a-half stuff has been really good in the playoffs. It all started at Chicago. really started at Darlington. Kurt ran well. We sat uh, on the pole there. Um, and went to Chicago and had two good stages. Ran in the top three all day, but Charlotte was really where I felt like we we had a chance to win. Um, you know, we won a couple stages, led a bunch of laps, and and felt like we were back in the game. So they've they've done a good job, and I can't I can't emphasize enough how much work it has been to switch to Ford um, for everybody at Stewart Haas Racing. That the, you know the the potential of of you know where to where to go is, and the things that we can do in the future is is great. Um, they all need a break. Um, they've been just working day and night, you know, trying to trying to get us caught up from a from a competitive standpoint. And, and it's just been everything's just different. You know, it's much different than the, than the things that that we did in the past. And and you could start at the front of the car, and you could talk about the body, you could talk about the underneath of the car, you can talk about the engine, transmission ratios, anything you want to talk about has been different. So, you know, for for me that's motivating, but I don't have to do all the work because I can just. I can stand back and give input and, and, you know, and think about things, and I, I enjoy that part, um, and that, that's been fun. But it's been, I can't emphasize how much work it has been and how, how proud I am of everybody uh, to be at this point with, with two races left in the year.
1: Stop and chew on this before we go to break. If the 24 or the 48, Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson, are not able to win at Phoenix and advance to the championship four, This year will mark the first time since the turn of the millennium, the first time since 1999, that a Chevrolet has not been mathematically in contention for the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series championship. That, to me, is staggering. And I think it shows how far the other two manufacturers have really been on their game this season. We're going to step aside when we come back. We'll shift gears a little bit, talk some NASCAR Xfinity Series racing, and, well, an interloper getting a win, which makes me kind of sad. But oh well. You're listening to The Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
5: dot com or you can email them at office at bsr drift nirvana getting you sideways the right way hms motorsport
2: is the leader in motorsport safety HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America, featuring world-renowned brands like Steelo Helmets, Shrope Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, ORCA Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even RaceCom Radio Kits. HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing— making your track driving as safe as possible with locations in mooresville north carolina and danvers massachusetts the staff at hms is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs don't settle for a second when it comes to motorsport safety stop into hms motorsport visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on facebook and tell them the folks from pmn radio sent ya what an awesome game
8: Hi, I'm Brandon McReynolds, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network.
1: Now back to the show. Well, 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 there's a little bit of news as we come back from break, by the way, because uh, and we'll talk more about this later in the week on the Performance Motorsports Network, but Brandon McReynolds going part time KM Pro Series East racing for the 2018 season. I know he's very much looking forward to that, looking forward to getting back behind the wheel right now. My name is Jacob Seelman. I'm joined by Tom Baker, James Pike, and Cisco Scaramuza around the round table as we talk racing on the Performance Motorsports Network and the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And I know I said before the break I was sad that an interloper won. Let me clarify that I'm not sad that Eric Jones won. But I am disappointed that we are still in a situation where interlopers not running for the Xfinity Series championship, are allowed to come down and steal race wins that these guys need for the playoffs. Luckily, next year, that's rectified. No cup drivers in the Xfinity Series playoffs or the Truck Series playoffs. Yay for NASCAR for doing something right for a change. But as it is right now, this is what we're left with for one more week. Eric Jones wins an Xfinity race, James, and completes the season sweep at Texas. Not surprised. You know, he's kind of good here.
3: Yeah, he's kind of good there. To Got his say first win the there. Least. Yeah, win. yeah, did get his first win there. And led 142 laps of 200. So, yeah, he's pretty good to say the least. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like. I wish there was more to say about this, but I really don't feel like there's much to say about... Him winning, it's just, you know, he has a good car, he's a good driver, he's good at that racetrack, just executed, got the victory. The better stories, I think, as far as I'm concerned, are what happened amongst all the drivers in the
2: playoffs. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? (laughs) Well, that is what we're talking here, is playoffs.
7: Yes. At
1: this point. Yes, it is. Which situation in particular, James, stuck out to you regarding the playoff drivers?
11: Oh, boy. Uh, Where do
3: I want to go on this one?
1: Byron, maybe?
3: Maybe, but Byron still, I think, is in decent enough shape, to say the least. So, I mean, I think it's going to be hard. Maybe Ryan Reed just completely torpedoing himself. By not being fast at all? Oof. Yeah. Because you look you look at the guys who were in the playoffs. They finished 4th, 5th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 11th, 14th. All kind of clustered together there. And then Reed was 23rd.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah, he not was okay. bad. Not okay. He was bad. Really bad, yeah, Tom. And was... I was worried about this 16 team once we got to this round. I that They needed speed that they didn't have. And they really... <laughs> really didn't have it on Saturday night. He was two laps down at the end of that race. It wasn't pretty. Yeah,
2: they didn't have much speed, and they didn't have any luck to go with it. I mean, he just, you know, it's one of those situations. Now you go into Phoenix, and you have to win, and I'm not real confident in the ability of that, team to to win at Phoenix though well you know stranger things have happened
1: again yeah like I said stranger things Um, have happened I think what really sticks out to me right now is you've got a pretty good battle between Brennan Poole and Matt Tift for the last spot in the championship for barring you know somebody stealing a win and i'm not saying somebody like cole custer or daniel hemrick couldn't steal a win but i think if they don't it's down to those two and there's only five points in between them cisco
4: there's only five points in between them and i want to talk about cole for a minute because tom was right cole showed up was fast and i do want to point out that we're going to a track that has been dominated in the cup side by a driver from Stewart House Racing. This True in, the, in this statement. case being in this case being Kevin Harvick. So I think there's a very strong possibility that Cole Custer sneaks his way into this
1: final round of the playoffs. But he's gonna have to win. Yes, I really have to win. I mean yes okay he's only thirteen points back but if he's gonna point his way in Tom I think that honestly requires winning the first two stages and running in the top 5 all day. I don't think you're going to make up 13 points purely on finishing position alone.
2: Well, the problem is that really in this particular series, I mean the only ones you could even mildly consider safe for the 3 the top 3 and they're all junior motorsports guys. Yeah. When you get to fourth on back and you start talking about Poole and Tift and uh, Daniel Hemerick and those guys, um, Custer, I think all of those guys are so close to each other that, you know, you're not even, again, it's a crapshoot because if one of the junior cars wins, then that's off the board. So then you, you know, any of these guys really almost have to win to get in or, or you know, really have an outstanding day all around and you're right it's going to be tough for Cole but I think I'm looking at Poole and Custer and Tift and I'm saying those are the three I don't see Daniel Hemrick and I don't see Ryan Reed at this point I think one of those three guys Poole Custer or Tift is going to be your fourth uh, championship contender and I think honestly I think of those guys if I had to pick one guy I thought probably could go win this race would be custer
1: i agree (laughs) largely because of the notes he's going to have to rely on from kevin harvick who's won eight times at phoenix in the cup series cisco now this is an amazing turnaround though when you think about the statistic that i threw out before the last break how chevrolet has a lot of work to do if they're going to be in contention for the championship this year when on the Xfinity side right now all four guys that are in the championship four are Chevrolet drivers I mean that's amazing when you think about it how stark a turnaround it is from one series to another
4: and I'm just you know I'm just gonna go on on a limb here the Xfinity series Chevrolet doesn't have a new car coming for them next year That's not the case in the Cup Series. I'm not saying that it's changing a whole lot, but
1: I'm just saying thats it's a thing. It's a thing. It is a thing. Now, Tom, should Brennan Poole advance to the Final Four? Does he have a realistic shot of beating the junior juggernaut?
2: You know, (laughs) the problem is it's three against one, and when you get into that situation, you give yourself – no better than a 50% shot. And I know that math doesn't make sense if you take it literally, but here's what I'm saying. You've got three junior cars, let's call them one, and then you've got yourself, whoever the fourth person is. So if you look at it, it's me against all of them. Yeah. So it's a 50-50 shot. I, I feel like right now if you go to Homestead, it's going to be difficult for somebody like a Custer or a Hemrick or even a Pool. Or Tift. I mean, those are all young guys that haven't had yeah. the experience in that big stage. And, you know, Junior Motorsports has been the dominant group most of the season if you mm-hmm. take out all the cup guys. So basically at that point, um, I'm looking at this and going, it's going to be really, really hard. I think Junior Motorsports, I said it going into this, that I thought that they had control of their own destiny just by mm-hmm. sheer numbers. And they've driven and raced and performed well enough for the most part. To keep themselves in that situation.
1: They really have. Now, the good news is that once we get past Phoenix this weekend, guys, we eliminate all the interlopers and we make it about the Xfinity Series guys, or if you're the 18 team, Christopher Bell, who's coming up from the Camping World Truck Series for Homestead. But we make it about guys who ought to be racing for the win instead of cup guys who really ought not to be racing for the win at homestead so in that scenario james does your champion have to win the race i say yes and daniel suarez proved last year even with cup guys in the field he could do it
3: christopher Bell's going to be motivated coming up and i genuinely think he probably wins that race in miami so, you
1: think i i
3: really do i just get that the way he's been driving that car the last few weeks in the Xfinity series, since he got that 18 machine, you can just tell he's already a threat to be winning races. And unless something crazy happens next year, he will be, I would almost put him the Vegas favorite to win the 18 Xfinity title right now.
1: How quickly William Byron. Well, no, he's going to cup, huh? He's he's going to cup, but (laughs) yeah, uh,
2: there's, Still a matter to be said about uh, what else the Gibbs lineup's going to look like next year. Or so this is
1: true. There's there's another guy who's been heavily rumored about another ride in the Gibbs stable. Cough cough. Ryan Priest Cough yeah. cough. And I think he
2: <laughs> would eat, would very much give Christopher a good run for his money. So
1: I like Cole Custer and Daniel Hemrick in year see, two too. Also, the by the way,
2: is, yeah, you give them another season. Yeah.
1: And then it gets fun. Trucks after this. We're taking a break. You're listening to Motorsports Madness. We're back with more after this on the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of
12: motorsports. Okay, so, Sarah, I'm dropping you off at Emily's? Yep. And, Josh, you're going to?
2: Soccer, Dad. Soccer practice.
12: Right. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know when I pick you both up, I'll be wearing my short shorts.
11: What? No!
12: Yep. Yep. And my dorky dad hat, and I'm going to do my dad dance for all your friends. They'll love it!
3: Seriously? Why?
12: Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seatbelts without giving me a hard time.
7: It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion.
2: Okay, okay, we're buckling up.
12: See, all buckled.
3: Good choice. I'll just have to do my dad dance at dinner time.
12: What, what?
7: No! No! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat?
6: Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
10: Hi, I'm Noah Grayson, and you're listening to Motorsports Madness on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
1: Welcome back to the Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman, James Pike, Cisco Musa, Tom Baker talking racing. And we're going to shift gears now in our NASCAR Hour to Camping World Truck Series. And for the second year in a row, Pikester, we say this after Texas, Johnny Sauter wins in the Lone Star State.
3: Well, at least somebody I picked this weekend did well.
1: Yes, yes, he <laughs> did. You picked Johnny Sauter, and he won. I picked Christopher Bell. He did not win, sadly.
3: I think I also might have had Jones, too, and Jimmy was the only one that laid a night, which means I'm still probably picking first anyway. But, uh, yeah, I love that you guys still... Think that mile and a half matt is a cool nickname i didn't but pick
1: Crafton. just saying I,
3: I i know i know but like th- this is this is johnny's domain now mile and a halves are his thing texas is his place maybe more so than just about anywhere else amongst the mile and a house that the truck series visits so uh, no surprises we'll see you in homestead i think uh and I don't know if you managed to pull up any quotes on this, but I'd be very curious to see what Sauter said, re going back to Homestead again and being able to go through the same thing again and being the only one with the experience of winning the championship before in a situation like that. I've yet to have a chance to read those quotes today, but I would imagine what he said would be very, very telling.
1: He actually didn't say much about Homestead after the Texas race, Tom. I don't think he's worried about Homestead yet. I think he's still worried about going out and getting another win at Phoenix and making sure that uh, nobody else has a chance to upset the apple cart by winning there next week. I will say, though, this is a statement win, I think, by the 21 team, that they are for real again and that Johnny Sauter is – at this point, equally a favorite to Christopher Bell. I would put those two level like I did the 21 and the 88 a year ago at this time.
2: Well, see, that's where I come from, too. I think you've got a completely different situation going into these last couple races. Johnny Sauter's not concerned with Homestead. He knows he's going there, and he knows he can win the championship. He's done it before, he he is going to be the only one. He doesn't need to even say it. Uh, I think the onus is on Chris Bell mm-hmm. to prove that he can go and beat the veteran mm-hmm. and whomever else ends up in, in Homestead running for the title. You know, you get you get any one of these guys that are left, these younger guys, and you put them in a situation where it's one race, I mean – I'm not sure that I'm bullish or bearish on Ben Rhodes chances at this point because I think he almost has to go to Phoenix and win. But or at least, you know, score a lot of points. But you get him at homestead on a one race shot, winner take all, and we've seen Ben be very Mm -hmm. aggressive. So we have, I think there's a lot to be told yet that Phoenix is going to be a heck of a truck race. That's all I'm going to say.
1: It is going to be a heck of a truck race. But let me also say this, Ben Rhodes only has to really be worried about outpointing one guy, Austin Sindrick, who is currently James, five points to the good. That's it. Five points. And not afraid to be aggressive, James. Oh, by the way. Well, we we know that. Can I finish my thought? Go ahead. <laughs> These two are both very aggressive. They're both young. They're both hungry. The battle between the two of them, unless John Hunter can pull a miracle, which at this point their track record at pulling miracles usually doesn't end well. The battle between the 19 and the 27, though, that is what I am so looking forward to on Friday night at Phoenix. I think that's going to be the storyline of this race.
3: That might just be the storyline of the weekend period, because we don't really have that many other close battles amongst drivers near cutoff lines throughout Xfinity and cup. So that that's really the only one where you could, I think genuinely outrace somebody to a playoff spot, which I think is very, very interesting. So might as well just call me Terrell Owens and get the popcorn if we're going to keep rolling with the Texas references, because mm-hmm. I will be trying to find a way to watch, because it will be entertaining, mm. and somebody's probably going to leave not even dejected or disappointed, but just pissed off at somebody else because they screwed their chances to win a championship.
1: Yeah,
2: that may be plural.
1: That it may this, be plural. This, see, that's somebody's.
2: Like, yeah, I'm saying some folks, uh, some people. I think, I think this this is going to be a Martinsville-type race for the trucks. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of Mm -hmm. the drivers that you've Mm -hmm. got in the mix here who have to go out and step on others' throats to to get points and win.
1: And John Hunter Nemechek, Cisco, has to step on everybody's throat. They tried to stretch the fuel at Texas. It didn't work just like it didn't work at Las Vegas earlier in the playoffs. I, You know – I'm not saying John Hunter can't win. In fact, his track record at Phoenix, I believe, is second best among all the playoff guys. But like I said a minute ago, their track record at trying to make miracles happen this year has not been good other than the back-to-back wins that got them to the playoffs in the first place. I just, I don't believe it. I think the Luck Bank has been overdrawn. I'd agree with that, but... I'm
4: uh, there's something interesting that, you know, bringing up the fact that Homestead's going to be a Martinsville-esque race.
1: Phoenix. You we mean? came
4: out of Martinsville because I'm thinking of the fact that we came out of Martinsville with a very, very um, not happy Matt Crafton, very, very not happy Johnny Sauter talking about how all these young kids were in here and they're able to get the jump on the veterans. Now this week we have Johnny Sauter going out there and holding off Cindric. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what kind of racehorse we're going to see. Are we going to see the veterans be able to hold their own? Or are we going to see the grumpy Johnny Sauter going
1: into Homestead again? I'm not really sure. Grumpy Cat Johnny Sauter, perhaps?
2: Well, I mean, again, if he goes out and runs well. Uh, he won't, he be, won't grumpy. be Grumpy Cat, yeah. Uh, I think Grumpy Cat maybe Matt Crafton at this point. Because, again, I, I don't know. where That 88 team just hasn't had it most of the season they've not been themselves you know sixth
1: in stage one ninth or eighth in stage two and ninth at the finish I mean it was just not a good day for Matt Crafton in Texas however James I think the run that so impressed me in Friday night's race honestly was out of the 19 team Austin Sendrick knew he had to come out and have a big performance and he had a very big performance, while Ben Rhodes ended up two laps down in 18th. Now, the stage points he earned in the first two stages really kept him in the mix to be able to point his way in, but this just feels like the momentum turning on the 27 team at the worst possible time, and Austin Sendrick found a way to turn it on when he had to.
3: Impressive. Impressive. Impressive, and especially when you consider that that team won't even exist two races from now. I know, Cindric got moves, got the ability to get up on the wheel, did what he had to do. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to the execution point that I've made a few times already throughout this show. They had to execute, they had to do something, they did. I just uh, so uh, something's going to happen on Friday night, but. If you like the truck racing, I think you're in for a really, really fun weekend because that, to me, I think is almost nailed on to be the best show of the three in Phoenix.
2: Mm-hmm. I believe it. Well, um, there is a movie called Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah. And then there was, I knew you were going to go there for the longest time. What was it? ESPN, I think uh-huh. somebody had Friday Night Fights. We may see a bit of both.
1: It, we may see a bit of both. In fact, if I may transition back to the Xfinity series for a minute we didn't have Friday night fights Cisco but we did have Saturday night fights I was going to mention this earlier and it just slipped my mind in all the playoff conversation there may have been a little altercation after the race I say little Brendan gone and Ross Chastain yeah so that was fun yeah that was
4: a thing and I, I don't know if we're just supposed to start thinking this of this as the status quo now. Like, we're getting to the end of the playoffs, so there just has to be fights. Is this, is, is this the world we're living in now?
2: Well, I mean, interestingly enough, neither of the two of them are in the playoffs. <clears throat> are actually in the playoffs at this point.
1: Brendan's point on his radio show, his fantasy preview show on SiriusXM Sunday morning, was that he was just fed up with Ross Chastain. This is not the first run-in they've had this season. Brendan wasn't happy, and he went over and told Ross as much, basically. I was disappointed that Ross was still in the car when Brendan went and did such things, Cisco, but, you know, I guess beggars can't be choosers.
4: But still, nonetheless, I mean... Every year it's been something now where something has broken out, whether it's between playoff drivers, whether it's with drivers getting eliminated from the chase going into, you know, Phoenix, or whether it be, you know, guys mad at each other for eliminating each other. This, I It's just a running theme that I'm starting to notice. Like, at the end of the season, everyone just wants to beat each other up, apparently.
2: Oof.
1: Yeah. No <laughs> kidding.
2: Well, you know, again, boys have had it. <laughs> and that's you know monsters should be loving this a lot more than they appear to be well th-
1: the problem was it didn't happen in the monster series well
2: but it's still part of nascar i mean i sure, understand it's sure. not their series but you know this is really what we need in the sport not necessarily more fights but just we need that raw emotion that's what helped build the sport and you know this is an atmosphere that creates it very valid point and we will certainly talk Playoff
1: chances, contenders, and pretenders when we make our performance picks at the end of this show, but we're going to transition into our second half, and when we come back after the break, we're going to start talking about the biggest dirt track show in the country. World of Outlaws World Finals at the Dirt Track at Charlotte, conversation, interviews, and so much more when we come back. You're listening to Motorsports Madness, second hour on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network, coming up.
3: For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ag Council.
0: Hide the kids. It's time to get dirty with the Race Chaser Online crew. Here's your host, Jacob Seelman, with Turn 5 Live's curator of Casa de Port Shop, Stephen Evans.
1: Well, well, welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. If you uh, needed a halftime break, I hope you went and got you some snacks during that last three minutes, because we're going full tilt into hour number two and talking a whole bunch of dirt track racing right here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, James Pike, Cisco Scaramuza, and Dr. Dirt back on the line with us, Steve Ovens, joining us for this second hour, and... I'll tell you what, my friend. The World of Outlaws Textron World Finals is rare to disappoint. Let me tell you what. This year did not disappoint. My argument, five out of the six feature events between Friday and Saturday night, absolute
12: classics. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, with you guys being up there, Jacob, I would pose this question to you as far as on track action goes from start to finish best world finals ever
1: yes uh, absolutely yes best world finals ever certainly the best since i started covering the event five years ago and i had been to pretty much all of them before that i would say from start to finish this was easily the best world finals for on track racing now not gonna lie It was a little bit of a dust bowl at times during the feature races, but on-track action, yes, Steve, this really, really topped all. I mean, when you stop and consider that from qualifying, we had guys who aren't normally top-shelf runners being able to put up laps that were really impressive, Trey Starks comes to mind in the sprint cars, Hudson O'Neill is one that popped up for me in the late model class. And Demetrius Drellis in the Super Dirt Car Series, who we'll talk about here in a couple of minutes, was one of the, you know, some of those young guys that really snuck up there and surprised a lot of people this weekend. But the features themselves, I mean, Friday night when you consider, uh, we'll start with the sprint cars. I mean, Donnie shots, I know there's not much more that needs to be said than that, but he had to work for the Friday night feature victory. It did not come easy. And when you consider the two for one pass that he made on Kerry Manson and Brian Brown. Oh yes. Oh yes.
12: Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. I mean, the, this was, this was the kind of, uh, you know, this was the kind of racing and the kind of finishes that we were really hoping to see out of the world finals. And, uh, you know, When you had guys just absolutely trading haymakers with each other to try and take the lead, I mean, what what more can you ask for? You really can't. I mean,
1: this was incredible to see what these guys did at the front of the field. Donnie goes on to win, gets his 20th of the season. Tom, that's Five consecutive years now that Donnie Schatz has won 20 features or more with the World of Outlaws. It's just truly impressive how they managed to keep doing this. And 10 wins now at the dirt track at Charlotte. It's Donnie's house.
2: Yeah, and David Gravel well, moved <laughs> into it on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, uh, he and, did. um claimed the master bedroom. Uh, uh,
1: d- just for about... Oh, five seconds. Well,
2: (laughs) it was enough. Yeah, Uh, it was. You know, it's unbelievable, really. As Tony said, the the run has been amazing. And that team, the way that they perform from year to year, obviously this is a competitive series, and it goes in cycles. I mean, Donnie gets hot, and then somebody else gets hot, and then Donnie gets hot, and then somebody else gets hot. And and that's not because – Donnie's not consistent. It's just that's the nature of the series. You always had three or four guys. You know, even when you had Kinzer versus Swindell, Mm -hmm. you also had guys like Wolfgang and, you know, whoever else that were Mm -hmm. always in that mix. Um, (laughs) Just unbelievable, though. As you say, the hole that he's had on Charlotte did even look good in the late model last year.
1: Yeah, not it, quite as you know. good in the late model this year, but uh, still a solid weekend. Steve-O, sure. uh, David Gravel, though, that Saturday sprint feature was absolutely sensational. Tried it once, twice, the third time was the charm, on the last lap. I mean, is this guy not going to be a superstar or what?
12: I think the crowd reaction told the story after yes. that pass was made and after he crossed the line for the checkered flag. David Gravel is the next superstar in the world of outlaw sprint cars and you know I'm I'm so happy to see this because this is a this is a young man that and we've talked about it a lot here on the show. You know, he has been a, a good friend of ours here on the program. He, he has. was a good friend of ours on turn 5. And and I really feel uh, I, I'm really happy for David because we've really too. followed his progress right along the way. And I just think that, you know, next season, I think that they are going to just build on what they had this year. There were periods of time where David was kind of uh, they, they you know, you can't say that they struggled because there wasn't really long stretches of races where they just kind of disappeared. Right. But there were some stretches where the consistency wasn't necessarily there. Um, Not nearly as consistent at the end as say a Brad sweet was to close out the season. Mm. But I really feel that they're going to take what they did this year. And, and Jacob, I really feel after an incredible year this year, they're only going to get better going forward and and I really think that this whole CJB Motorsports team is going to really put on a great show uh, coming up in 2018, And and I do think that just as they did this year for 90% of the tour, I really think they are going to go blow for blow with shots next year for this title. I
1: hope so. They went blow to blow with him on wins pretty much this year. Shots had 20. David Gravel had 18, which was double what he had in 2016 when he had nine wins. And we thought that was impressive. So, you know, looking forward to seeing what David does next year. And I think, Steve, we may have a similar situation on the late model side. We saw Brandon Shepard run away to the title this year and tie his predecessor, Josh Richards, single season win record in the World of Outlaws Late Model Tour with 18 victories or sorry i think 17 victories no no it was 18 see they <laughs> win so yeah, i know they win so many times i sound like a politician right now that uh, can't keep track he did get number 18 during the world finals at Charlotte Stevo but chris madden is going to be one like david gravel yes he's not as young as david is but <laughs> I think those two are probably going to be the two and maybe throw Tyler Erb in there as well as guys who have really come into their own in the second half of the year and could be threats to this next year. But a great job by the Rocket One team to come away with their fifth championship and the first one without the namesake Josh Richards behind the wheel.
12: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that this was our expectation it was certainly my expectation for, for b Shep this year to, to get, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to tie Josh Richards's record of, of 18 wins in a season, but I did think that he was going to, you know, handily take this championship, and that's exactly what they did. What I'm interested for next year, Jacob, is I feel like there was a lot of youth mm-hmm. on tour this year. As well as some veterans. You you, you mentioned uh, Madden, and, and you mentioned guys like uh, Dennis Herb Jr., and, and certainly the youngster, uh, Turbo, coming up through the ranks. There was a lot of youth on tour this year, Jacob, and I think that next year we could see a little bit more parity on this tour because these young guys have a full season uh, underneath their belts. And, and yeah. you know, more seat time is only going to be a great thing for all of those younger drivers. And I think that when you look at the crop of youth, that's coming through this tour, I think I feel better about the world of outlaw late models in 2018. than maybe I did preseason 2017 because 2017, the off season story was what seemed like a mass exodus of, of big names uh, from the world of outlaw late model tour. But you know, with that, You saw this crop of young talent come through, and I think that will only make that tour uh, even better and maybe even have some more parity next season. But, um, you know, what a feat for Shepard and and that whole uh, Rocket Chassis crew pulling down another title. I certainly agree with it.
1: And stop and consider how amazing his year was. He finished in the top 10 out of 43 races, finished in the top 10 41 times. This season, that's unbelievable (laughs) when you stop and consider uh, just how consistent they had to be this year. Steve, were you surprised, by the way, at the job that Dennis Erb did to steal the final win and how close Mike Marler came both nights? I
12: mean, ah, and I know that this is no surprise to you, Jacob, but Mike Marler is a name that you're going to want to remember in 2018. He really stepped up big yeah. time in, in some very, very big races this year. And and I think that that's a driver there that you look at next year and say, you know, those guys could take a big step forward next year and win even more big races, uh, especially some of these big money shows that they seem yeah. to run so well in uh, here in 2017. So, uh, yeah, you know, between Marler and, and, and some of the other guys here, Uh, You know, Dennis Herb that that picks up the win on the final night. You know, I think that uh, these guys, you know, just like the sprint cars put on an incredible show. And that's that's why I say it. You know, I think that when you look at this world finals from top to bottom and, you know, that's not leaving the late models out of the conversation no. You know, this was one of the best World Finals
1: we've seen. Oh, yeah, it was. Go back and watch the highlights on the World of Outlaws YouTube, please, from the late model features, because both of them were awesome. Super Dirt Car Series, before we go to break, Stevo, I said it before, I'll say it again. I thought Matt Shepard was going to win the championship, but I wouldn't believe it till it happened. Most impressive title, period.
12: Yeah, no doubt about it. This is, you know, one of the best, if not the best, comeback that we've ever seen on the super dirt car series there was a lot of storylines that that led into what we saw at the world finals this weekend uh you know coming back from the suspension coming back from you know missing Mm. those races due to the suspension and then Mm. just absolutely coming back and taking the entire super dirt car series to the woodshed from the time he returned until the world finals where he picked up the, the Saturday night win to win the title. I mean, I have never seen a driver put a whooping on the field (laughs) like Shepard did this year. And it wasn't just on the series. It was in every race car he sat in this season. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever be able to repeat that success 41 wins, guys, in, in a season. In 81 that's starts. That's 50%. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's the storyline. I mean, the, oh, sure. the storyline is the comeback is complete. Shepard now has six Super Dirt Car Series titles. Yeah, by
1: the way, that's tied for second with Jump and Jack Johnson. Uh,
12: yeah. Brett Hearn with eight. Yeah, you, you might want to keep a close eye on your record. Pencil this in, guys, and we may have to refer to this in a few years. But pencil this in: Matt Shepard will retire with the most Super Dirt Car Series titles in the history of the series. Yes, uh, pencil
1: I agree. that in. I agree. Final thought before we go to break, Steve Demetrius Drellis, twenty years old from New York, got in the redraw both nights, kept his equipment sharp both nights, didn't tear anything up. How impressed were you by that shot of youth in
12: this field? You want to talk about the American dirt racers' dream? You yeah. want to talk about the world finals for this young man? He he went down there with a car that they race just at you know just at the weekly level, and they went down on on one of the biggest stages yes. that the dirt modifieds get to be on all season long, and they qualify their way into this show. Uh, the, the, it just. His interviews on Dirt Vision for me basically told the story of their week, the the excitement. But yeah, even though he was so excited, he kept his composure mm-hmm. and and first thanked, you know, the family, the crew for getting him there. But he said it, he goes, We came down here to try and compete with these guys and have a good time. And and we've come out and, and even shocked ourselves. Yes. I mean That was the feel good story of the World Finals, Uh, certainly on the modified side of things, maybe if not for the entire World Finals uh, this past weekend. I was so happy for that young man because you could tell just how much he appreciated the effort it took for them to even be there, much less have the success they did. Yeah, and we'll uh, talk more World Finals
1: coming up here. We're going to hear in our next segment from the champion driver and car owner on the World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series. The Donnie and Tony Show comes to the madness after this. You're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Welcome back to The Madness here on PMN. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, James Pike, Cisco Scaramuza, and Dr. Dirt Steve Ovens talking racing here on PMN and talking the dirt track variety of racing at the moment. Before we get to talking about the TSR dog and pony show, Steve-O, I I heard that joke in the pit area over the weekend, so I thought, why not? Uh, One more guy that I know Tom wanted to mention was Matt Williamson, who won the Friday Night Super Dirt Car Series feature, second career win, first at Charlotte, and he said it afterwards to me, probably the biggest win of his career. This was a big, big, big moment.
12: Well, it certainly was, and and this was only a continuation of the performance level from Matt that we saw during Napa Auto Parts Super Dirt Week. You know, he 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 went and put a shellacking on him, and really stunned. Friesen and Matt Shepard at Utica Rome follows that up with nearly, nearly winning the small block race against Shepard at Oswego. And then he goes down to the world finals, has a strong run, but then loses an engine. And at that point, you know, they, initially they thought, well, so much for our weekend. We had a good run, but now we're done in steps in Laura, John and Larry white and, and Kevlar engines stage, right. And they, you know, come to the rescue and, you know, I, I was, I was very happy to see this. Yes. And, and part of me, part of me says, well, maybe this was a, an effort to pay repay a debt to society
7: or yeah, something really. of
12: that sort. <laughs> well, but, uh, it, it was Tom. It was a really cool story to see that they came to to Matt's aid and really propelled him to the Friday night win.
2: Or maybe an effort hoping he beats Shepherd again on Saturday night. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it was a <laughs> it was a great gesture on on the yeah. part of the White team. And you know, you see that. racing all the time and that's one of the beautiful things about short track racing especially and i think dirt track racing really still so much because you know everybody understands that everybody struggles to get somewhere and Mm -hmm. when somebody has bad luck somebody's offering a part or offering a motor i mean it's just what makes it a family and that was a, a nice gesture and and it you know at least it gave Matt a chance to compete on Saturday but what a moment oh Jacob yeah. for him to step up again on that big stage and go out there and perform the way he did on Friday that was pretty awesome a
1: couple of us in the press box myself included had chill bumps when he took the checkered flag because it's a you know we knew what that moment meant to that team and to Matt and how hard he's worked to be able to compete with the guys on the big stage. So congratulations to him. Now let's get into, Steve, the meat and potatoes of the World Finals Championship celebration, which was another title by the 15 team. Before we hear from Donnie Schatz, he's now third all time. Next year, he's chasing a 10th series title and his 250th win. How soon before we can start chalking up Donnie shots as being the second best driver that the Outlaws have ever seen and the best of the modern era bar none?
12: <laughs> I think we're there. Okay. I, I really do. I hope I, 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 I was hoping so. I think we're there, no doubt about it. But I I have to tell you, in a time period where there's really not a whole lot of measuring sticks to compare him. Because I feel like every year we come back and say, okay, how's Donny Schatz going to do it this year? Mm-hmm. How are they going to win a championship again, just as they've done so many times here, now having nine total? Mm-hmm. Next year could be interesting. We always look for that angle. Okay, what's it going to be that stops Shots this year? What do we think it's going to be? I'll give you a couple of things. David Gravel's one the second one I would give you is I think next year we see that transition to Ford performance yes we do And that is going to be a very interesting storyline could maybe trying to get those things ironed out underneath the hood of that 15 car could that be the angle next year it might we'll, be but we'll find out but he just they are just incredible and uh, I you know there's not much more that I feel like you can say because right. they they truly have won it every way that you can. We're going to be sitting here talking next year about how they won it with Ford Performance. As
2: we're going to be <laughs> yeah, You're right. probably right. Tony Stewart won about 10 features.
1: <laughs> yeah, Donnie, uh, just to say this real quick, Donnie expressed much confidence in the Ford program going into of next course. year. They've had a year to get it going. They're going to have three more months before the season kicks off in February to iron out the bumps. I'm not worried about it, just like Donnie's not worried about it. And Donnie wasn't worried. The celebration was already in full swing when I talked to him. So uh, let's hear from the champ. And here we stand again. I can call him nine time now. Donnie Schatz wins another World of Outlaws Craftsman Sprint Car Series championship. Another 20-win season. Didn't quite get 250 tonight. But, man, y'all just keep finding ways to do it and win races and win these big trophies. These guys do. They do an incredible job of it. Um, You know, when you build a
11: chemistry, we've been with this team 10 years, uh, you know, you just keep building on things and uh, things that some teams can't find, we do it and don't even know it so um you know commitment from their families all that there's a, there's a lot of hard work goes into it and uh they're just a great group of guys and it's, uh, it takes all that group of guys it takes a great corner it takes great marketing partners like Textron off-road and Articat and ford and rusty rush truck center and Mobile One. I mean, all these people, uh, you see them standing here. They're, they, they enjoy it with us.
1: So um, that's why we're standing here is uh, sharing it with them. You shared it as a driver with your car owner slash teammate this season. I was talking to Tony earlier, and he said he soaked up a lot learning from you this year. What was it like to have the boss driving as a teammate it's what we've been waiting for for a long time we knew the day was going to come when he retired from NASCAR and
11: this is what he wants to do and man I'm so looking forward to 18 for that reason um, you know this Ford thing's going to take a lot of testing and development uh, Tony's going to do most of the testing and we can work with him and, and he's wanting to do things like I like and have the car feel like I like so um, it, it works for us so uh, for the first time uh, since I've been here we're going to be work as close as teammates as we, as we can and um, Um, It's going to benefit both of us, and uh, uh, the key part is uh, for him to have a lot of fun along the way. So uh,
1: we're going to do our best to make that uh, work for all parties. Take me back 10, 11 years when Tony first plucked you out of the crowd and said, I want you to drive for me. Did you ever? I mean, obviously it's the goal, but did you ever envision a run like this over the last decade? You got to take it day at a time. You know, you can't say, man, in ten
11: years I hope we've won eight championships or I hope we've won ten. You know, it's it's not realistic to say those things because um, you just got to take one day at a time. That's that's how I live. You know, life's short. Uh, you got to play hard, but you're only going around once, and you don't know for how long. And you know, this is can some days be a dangerous sport, and uh, it, but most importantly, it's it's a very humbling sport, and that's the part. That uh, it's that I seem to enjoy the most you got to be able to enjoy the victory but you got to let it go and and move on to tomorrow and that's what this team does that's what uh, that's what our focus is and um, you know we enjoy every every uh, bit of success we get and probably dwell sometimes a little bit too much on what we don't succeed at and just build on it that's all you
1: can do so um, you got to take it full circle. What most stood out to you about this run compared to the other eight titles? We were really uh, not
11: not stellar throughout the middle of the year, and we didn't have a very big points lead. And, and, and even though we didn't have that points lead, we stayed consistent. We worked through trying to, you know, get things the way we wanted and make things better. And uh, we actually built a little bit of a gap that way, and, and that's probably what stands out, you know. You don't sit and worry about points, but there's, they're always in the back of your mind if it's close. You know, your performance, it doesn't really affect what you do on the racetrack, but when you're off the racetrack it's probably what it what it affects the most. So that probably sticks out the most is, is how hard these guys dug and how they were under the knife all year and under the gun, under the pressure, uh, and they just adhered to it. And when you do that, them sort of things that, that are uncomfortable, it makes you stronger.
1: And uh, that's what makes me look forward to working with him again in 2018. Talking about things that were uncomfortable, I'm sure at times as close as David Gravel was to matching you tit-for-tat on sheer speed had to be a little uncomfortable for this team. But... Did having somebody like David on tour this year that was as good as he was, did that push you guys through the mid-portion of the season to be better? You know, I'm the kind of person that that, uh, I can control
11: what it is I do and I'm not motivated by what someone else does. Um, You know, that's what's got me in this position uh, to be here as long as I have. So there's been a lot of guys that have done a lot of great things over the years, and David's just another one coming up through the ranks, and he's doing a great job. Uh, That's what our sport needs is we need young, hungry guys, you know, but we've seemed to to stay in that mix every year of, of racing for a championship. So, um, you know that's what that's what we continue to do. And what we do is what we can control. We can't. Uh, we don't change anything via what someone else does. And um, you know Dave had a great year. He had 18 wins, but he was uh, you know, almost 300 points out of you know being a contender for the championship. So it's you know that's a lot of nights. That's um, you know six nights of. Uh, DNFs to a win, so it's it's a uh, it's a tough scenario to be, and I've been there. You, you t- keep that in the back of your mind, and, and you have to race smart, and you have to do things, you know, championship-wise. And guys that have won championships know that. So uh, maybe we had a little bit of an advantage in that department, and um, but it's a it's a great time in the sport. Very competitive. It's as competitive as I've seen it in 10 years. So uh, that makes it feel awful special
1: when you win a championship, and it's that competitive. And to tie it all up, going for 250, going for 10 titles next year do you ever think about the numbers when you're going through this or are those the kind of things you just reflect on at home
11: you reflect on them um, you know you probably I'm probably going to reflect on them someday when I'm retired I keep myself very busy away from the racetrack uh, to not think about those things I mean yeah I I have I'm very proud of the accomplishments I have I'm very appreciative of the compliments I have but uh, you're never going to hear me slamming someone's face I'm a 10 time this or a nine time that or a five time this it's just not how I am it's not who I am so you, you have to enjoy the, the grace of victory today, and act like you didn't have a victory tomorrow. And um, it's worked for me for for the last
1: ten years, so I'm not going to change uh, what I've done and who I've become. And I don't think anybody on this team would want you to, Donnie. A ninth championship—I know you'll celebrate it. Congratulations. Thank you. I loved that last comment—that he's not going to change what he's doing because it's worked for him for a decade with TSR. I think that says a lot, and I think that that should tell the rest of the field (laughs) you're going to have to deal with the same old dominant 15 team next year, which, by the way, was led by the guy who also, Steve, got to race over the weekend. It was different for TSR this weekend. They celebrated a championship championship but they had the boss running in the second car, too. And this was fun for me to watch. Tony qualified in through the heats on Friday night, won the C-Main on Saturday, and ran his way up to the middle of the last-chance showdown. I mean, it was a good showing for the Rush Truck Center's bunch. And you know what? Tony was happy. And happy Tony means everybody wins.
12: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> the 15 and the 14 running together during a World of Outlaws show. Hmm. Signs of things to come? We'll soon find out.
1: I hope so. Uh, what we'll find out right now is just how excited Tony Stewart was to be able to celebrate and race during the World Finals with Donnie Shots. Because I got a chance to catch up with him in uh, what I will say is one of the fav- my favorite interviews that I've ever done for this show. So, from the champ to the boss, here's Smoke I swear if he didn't mess with me every time we did this, I think there was something going wrong. Okay, champion car owner Tony Stewart, last time we did this, it was eight times, now it's nine times, and for the first time, you got to be here and race in the World Finals when your driver won the championship. Had to be a little different feeling. Uh,
8: Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously fun to be here, and it's a a big weekend for the team. You know, it's, it's nice, it was nice to be able to come in of the weekend with it already locked up to where all I had to do was just get in the car and and uh, go on the track for practice. But
4: um, you
8: know, it's it's fun to be able to come here and race too. I mean, I've raced all summer and you know I, I needed to. I wasn't planning on running here. I was going to come and just kind of be supportive with the team. But um, you know, we this is the way our summer's been with our car, it's it's a polar opposite. I'm the I don't know who which one's the yin and yang, but that's what the 15 and 14 cars are. So. Uh, We just, we figured we needed to come and race just to try to to get our stuff better.
1: You said when you uh, first got back in the seat that you were going to soak a lot from Donnie. Uh, How much have you learned not just as a car owner but a driver working with him this year? Uh,
8: quite a bit. I mean, I listen. I listen a lot to what he says and what he's feeling. So, uh, you know, we definitely got a. I definitely got a lot of room to improve for sure. But, um, you know, it, you, you couldn't ask for a better teammate. I mean, he's he's all in, and will he, he constantly tells me whatever I can do to help. That's uh, and that's the way he is. I mean, he just he wants he wants me to go better too. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate having a guy like him. And the great thing is, I mean, our feedback when we when we've got in the same car and and ran back-to-back, we have a lot of the same feedback, too, and that, that makes it really good for uh, a multi-car team when you got two drivers that have the same feel.
1: Take me back to when you first hired the guy. I mean, 10, 11 years ago. Did I know it's always the goal, but did you ever dream that this kind of a run of success was realistic? Uh,
8: I don't know that anybody ever Thinks or thinks ahead or plans ahead that far that you're going to have this kind of success. I mean, we just knew that he he was somebody special, and you could see it in the way he drove, and you know you could see as he progressed. I mean, he wasn't even at full potential yet, and um, so it's it's, every year I keep trying to to tell him. I mean, I I think when they get to this point of the year, it's kind of like when our cup season was over. It's like you're just glad it's over for the year. It's it's a long long stretch, uh, you know, each calendar year for these guys and uh, I don't know that they think about it till they get home but I I know why I think about it on a night like tonight. I mean to do what they've done has been pretty special to watch and uh, be a part of it with them.
1: And to close it up, we saw the fun love in Tony Stewart during the photo session tonight and obviously you and Donnie have had a lot of fun getting to work together. What's the camaraderie like between you two not just as owner and driver but friends and all this?
8: Well, that's one thing. We all we all know how to have a good time and have fun and it's it's stressful enough to do this for for the year, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to keep an equation like this going if you don't have fun in the middle of all of it, too, and I think that's one thing that we race hard, we work hard, but at the same time, we all know how to play hard, too.
1: Yeah, they played hard on the way to a championship, Steve. I mean, again, five seasons now with 20 wins or more, it's just, you know, they have fun, but they kick everybody right square in the rear while they're doing it.
12: Well, if you kicked the competition in the teeth as much as they do, <laughs> I think you'd be having a lot of fun yourself. <laughs> to be honest with you, it just yeah. uh, just been a great run for this team, and 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 I really think that you know this is uh, for Tony right now. You know, being in his first year of retirement, and and to still have the continued success that his Outlaws team has. I don't think Tony's been happier here in the the last 10 years.
1: I tend to agree with that, absolutely. So we're going to step aside. More Dirt Track Talk when we come back. We're going to hear from a second-generation driver on the other side of this who's come back from injury, become a very successful team owner in doing so, Kevin Swindell on the other side. You're listening to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
2: HMS Motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity and Camping World Truck Teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America. Featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems and even RaceCom Radio Kits. HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing, making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop in HMS Motorsport, visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent you.
4: Hi, this is John Androsic of Five for Fighting, here for Rad Hi, I'm Todd Gilliland, driver of the number 16, now bought a Toyota Camry, and you're listening
1: to Motorsports Madness on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. Welcome back to the Madness, and congratulations to Todd Gilliland on wrapping up the 2017 NASCAR k and Pro Series West Championship over the weekend at Kern County Raceway Park, his second title in a row. We'll talk more about that later this week on PMN. As well, Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, Steve Ovens, James Pike, Cisco Scaramuza with you talking racing and continuing our world finals and dirt track wrap up here with an interview that you'll hear from now. We mentioned it before the break. Kevin Swindell has come back from much tribulation over the past couple years. A crash at Knoxville Raceway derailed his career, uh, you know, derailed his life for a while and has uh, set up a lot of work, recuperation therapy for him to overcome a a stinger accident. Uh, Steve and I have talked about this on the show before, but a spinal cord injury that uh, severely hampered the use of his legs and yeah. uh, took him out of the seat of a race car. But Kevin has turned his passion from the driving side to the team ownership side. Started a 410 sprint car team. Hired a young kid like himself in Spencer Baston to pilot the car. They came down to the World Finals to learn. And I was fortunate enough to be able to catch up with Kevin and talk a little bit about everything. You know, for the first time since the accident. So uh, in this a little bit of tribulation, a whole lot of triumph, and a whole lot of life lessons from Kevin Swindell as he recounts what's gone on and what's ahead for 2018. Kind of a big week for Kevin Swindell. Uh, You come off the announcement that you get Spencer Baston back in the 39 car for another year and bring him here to the World Finals uh, trying to find some speed. Uh, I know obviously some high points this year with Spencer finally getting a win in the car uh, how important is it for you guys to be able to keep that consistency and have him back next year
10: it's good you know we've worked on you know having a balance that fits you know him as as well as being good so um, you know just keep trying to to work on that and and obviously racing with these these guys with outlaw guys it it makes stuff a lot tougher so you got to be a lot closer on your on your game so kind of come here and, and find out really uh you know where you're at and we don't quite have the the motor program that a lot of these guys do. But, uh, you know, we've been close. We just uh, we'll keep getting him better on these bigger places and, uh, you know, keep working on the cars. And, you know, hopefully this weekend we'll, we'll learn a lot and, and head into the next year with some more
1: uh, some more notes. I've seen some back and forth. It looks like the dynamics pretty fun. Now, what's it been like having somebody like spencer who's kind of close in age to you uh you know be able to relate a little bit but have him drive in your car and i feel like he drives a bit similar to to what you did when you were in the seat as well yeah no i
10: enjoy uh you know having him around and you know if he's every sprint car race he's ran has been been with me now for for the last two years so uh he doesn't really know a lot different <laughs> but you know we uh we have a good time, and, and we work well together, and, and just keep, uh, you know, trying to get him and better at, at his feedback. And you know, obviously, I can I can relate to the to driving it as well as is trying to, to make it go around. So just uh, you know, keep uh, keep tuning him in as, as well as our stuff, and, and keep getting better. I know,
1: obviously, life's changed a lot the last couple years for you, but I've seen. You know, some lightheartedness around your pit area this weekend, and a big smile as you're still getting to work on this. And what's it like for you? I know you want to be back in the seat, but being a car owner and still being able to be as involved as you are. Yeah,
10: it's uh, it's different, but uh, yeah, I enjoy it, and and just uh, kind of a new challenge for me to to try to figure out this, you know, more and more. And uh, you know, we've had a had a good year, and had some some good results and, and probably should have had a, a few more wins just had had little things happen so uh you know, we'll see it's uh the, the the business side here in the week part I, I don't enjoy but <laughs> the the racetrack part I, I'm good with and uh you know just just keep trying to to improve here on on doing all that and and you know this year was a big learning experience for me just trying to to keep the the amount of stuff you need and, and float that kind of thing, and, and understanding how to do that side of it. So uh, I look forward to, to next year and, and knowing what the hell I'm doing a little bit better. <laughs> what is the biggest enjoyment you get out of this side of it compared to the driving side? I, I think it's just a kind of a mental win. You, know, you, you feel like maybe you outsmarted you know the rest of the guys in the pit area. You know when when you win these races and to run good so uh you know i don't i don't have a a notebook to fall back on pretty much anywhere we went this year and and still you know i I hardly went anywhere twice so just just trying to 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 learn a lot and and you know figure out how to you know especially you come around with these guys you got to figure out how to qualify better and you know i think we get a little complacent with that when we run some of the all-star races and stuff for the the quality you know at least of but maybe the motor side and things like that isn't isn't quite as good, and, and you can get away with being a little a little off and still be where you need to be. So uh, I think look forward to kind of running with these guys more and, and being able to maybe get our you know get kicked in the dirt a little bit. But
1: uh, you know that's pretty much the only way you can figure it out. Yeah. I know. I'm sure you've been asked this in the past. Is you know. Is there a thought, do we look at a day when possibly we see you back in the seat or for you right now, is the focus on the challenge of getting your program as a car owner to where you want it to be?
10: Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly just worried about that. And, um, you know, I think for for me to race, a lot of the, the hand control stuff's gotta get a lot better. And I, I don't really think that the stuff they have now Really makes you capable of, of doing what you need to do a lot of the time. There's time when when you can run you know wide open and just kind of squeeze the thing down and go. I think you're all right. But when when tracks get rough or this or that, there's there's a lot of things that it make it tough because obviously you're you're used to holding on with ten fingers and, and now you got you know three of each hand off of the wheel, so it makes it a little difference. So I think if we can figure out how to get those a little bit better and and be able to. To, to do some things better, I you know, might give it a try, but uh, right now I'm just uh, still half uh, fighting little gremlins in my back and things like that, and I just like to be comfortable and stuff not hurt for a little while before
1: I worry about getting back in one of these <laughs> and bouncing around. I know you've been a big advocate for safety, too, and that's been something that you've been pretty passionate about in light of all this.
10: Yeah, no, I think there's there's a lot of little things, you know, you can work on, and
1: just after going
10: through what I did you just you don't want to see anybody else go through it and it's it's not fun and you know you used to watch people crash and kind of go eh. but now it's like I watch guys crash and I get you know really concerned for a lot of guys especially just you can watch the way guys land and you know we've seen you know the way mine landed the way like Robert Blues landed last year you know when it broke his neck and just things like that so and, and obviously the I think one of the biggest things that kind of keeps me wavering from wanting to get back in one is just fire to be honest with you and um you know we you see so many places that are just so lax on on that side of things too and it's just uh there's a lot of places where things can improve and and just feel a lot more comfortable when when you get in the car that if you have an issue there's there's gonna be somebody there to take care of you
1: there was A lot. I felt like, honestly, Tom, my brain was kind of overwhelmed a little bit when I was done and shook Kevin's hand because I didn't expect for him to be as open as he was, but at the same time, I mean, you sit and and hear some of what he's been through and and some of the thought processes that even now go through his mind as far as the sport and all of that. I mean, it was really, really powerful, and it said a lot to me about, you know, Kevin as a person— now compared to where he was before the accident happened.
2: Yeah and there was a lot in what you just said. Anything like that is life-changing. When you have a a life-changing situation you're forced then to mature and it humbles you first and then it helps you to grow and I think Kevin now has a completely different perspective. You heard him talk about, you know, I used to watch guys crash and just, Mm -hmm. you know, you understand it's a part of the sport. You don't make too much of a big deal of it. But then now he watches somebody crash Mm -hmm. and he feels it and sees it in a whole different way. The perspective is telling what he said about the situation at the end about fire and how there are a lot of places that are very lax when it Mm -hmm. comes to fire safety and there are we've seen it yes and i agree 100 percent with that and it is really something that is personal to me to see that change and to try to find ways for that to change because i grew up going to a racetrack where a lot of the city firemen were also track safety crew personnel and Oswego Speedway still continues to have to me the absolute top-notch safety crew in all of short track racing and you know I go to other tracks and I see videos of other tracks where you know there's no training for the safety personnel they're not dressed properly they're not trained properly they don't have the right chemicals they it's and so all of those things Mm -hmm. I mean I think again, Kevin's whole perspective instantly changed. And, you know, that was a very, very good interview.
1: Steve, what most stuck out to me about all of this is just, you know, watching him work over the weekend. Kevin has taken every ounce of the passion that he had for driving a race car and put it into this team and put it into making this team successful. And I truly do believe that once Spencer Baston gets comfortable with running with a giant wing on top of him, because that's not been his background, this 39 team is going to be very, very good. And they have a very good leader. Kevin has become a very good leader in all of this. And I think uh, that that's going to show here, even in the next year, quite honestly.
12: He's not just the leader for that team, Jacob. He is the heartbeat of that team. He is the You know, he is the he is the one that, yes, he leads, but he he's the heartbeat. He's the cheerleader. And and oh, by the way, he's the he's the crew guy. Yeah. You know, he's the guy turning, you know, helping make decisions and turn wrenches. And I agree with you, Jacob. I think once Spencer gets a little bit more comfortable with these cars, I think for Spencer right now, it's kind of trusting what the car will do. Because it's not his background to race, you know, wing sprint cars. So I think that the more that he gets comfortable with that car, the more that he trusts that the car will do what it's supposed to do, whether you know it looks like it's going to do that or not. That's what's going to help propel these guys even further. And you know, I, I think even the comments that Kevin made about, you know, the hand controls. It, You know, I could see Kevin being that kind of guy that, you know, develops that technology, whether it's something that he uses himself or something that helps somebody else out in the future. I think he could be one of the innovators to help bring that technology to the next level. Yes, I think Kevin very well
1: could be, not just for him, but for somebody like Eric Saunders, who we've had on this show yep. in the past, who's in a in a similar situation when it comes to looking at potential hand controls to get back behind the wheel. You know, there's a lot of people, I think, that Kevin has not only already touched throughout this whole process, but may continue to before it's all said and done. And I think sprint car racing, eventually, I think it will do the sport good, to have that team and Kevin back to having success, even if it is in a car on a roll.
2: I think Eric does use hand control for yes, break. yes, He yeah. has to. And see Kevin, you know, that's a, uh, a situation, again, Kevin being an advocate for safety and improved safety. And I think in the open wheel, especially sprint car side of things, I think there's a ton. I mean, y- I think you've got track walls and fences that aren't safe. I think yeah. you've got... You know, again, safety crews not properly trained. The cars, I think, could definitely use some improvement. I think, you know, full containment seats, all of these types of things. I mean, I think at some point we've got to get real here and understand that, okay, yes, it's an extreme sport. And yes, you know, the excitement, but you don't want people getting hurt if they don't have to. And, you know, I think part of even the crash pad that we've talked about Mm -hmm. on the show before just something as basic as that that's about the price of a tire that can help you in this exact kind of compression injury that Kevin had
1: yeah we're going to take our final break right now and Steve as always thank you for your contribution to this show when we come back we're going to have a quick lightning round before we wrap this edition of Motorsports Madness you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network and we'll be right back
5: how to be a great dad in 15 seconds
1: Hi, I'm Cole Custer, and you're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports. Oh, fantastic. The subject of my first lightning round question brings us back from break. Thank you, Cole Custer, for making this easy. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, James Pike, Cisco Scaramuza with you for a couple more minutes here on PMN. And I'll go right into our lightning round because, Cole Custer, can he and will he advance to the Final Four in Miami for the Xfinity Series. Tom, you start.
2: Well, he absolutely can, and I have great faith in his ability to do that. I would say that if I had to choose between he and Brennan Poole right now, as much as I like Brennan, yes, I think Cole Custer can, and I do believe there is a very good chance, better than 50%, That he will advance.
1: James, does Custer make the Final Four?
3: No. I I can't do
1: short answers. You know this by now. He says no. Cisco, yes or no? I'm in the same
4: boat with Tom. I think he can and I think he will.
1: Awesome. I say yes, actually. I agree that he does. I think he may just win this race, quite frankly. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. wouldn't disagree. Next lightning round question. Does Jimmy Johnson find a way to make the final four cisco no james lol <laughs> i'll take that as a no tom <laughs> lol too <laughs> no am i the only believer here i guess i have faith so you're saying he will i'm saying he finds a miracle or creates one <laughs> it would be a miracle it you would bank be.
3: on it it won't happen that's the problem well it only happens when you least expect it I, so I we a should go ahead around.
1: Okay, Cisco, go for it. How likely is it the 48
4: passes post-race tech after Phoenix? (laughs) If they win?
3: ten percent no matter what happens.
1: Cisco, to answer your question, if he wins, that thing passes post-race tech. Beyond that, I ain't got a clue, Tom.
2: (laughs) Yes, it'll pass post-race tech.
1: Final lightning round question here before we put a bow on this thing. If we had been under the non-playoff system, Martin Truex Jr. would have been celebrating a championship on Sunday. So in a world where we have the playoffs, are you happy, Tom, that we're not in that
2: scenario this weekend? Yes, I'm happy. This is exactly what NASCAR wanted, and it's what they got. It's no fun if you crown a champion three weeks before your season's over. No other sport does that.
1: James.
3: There's the problem. You started off your sentence within a world, but you didn't read it like a movie trailer, like you're supposed to. I know. So, I'm sorry. I'll fix it for you. In a world where the playoff system doesn't exist,
7: are it's you happy probably now? not as good a product for television <laughs> as the last two races are going to be, which is why
1: I am excited that we have the current points format. He really just had to do that. Cisco? Yeah.
4: Uh, plus to one to what James said. I can't follow <laughs> that up.
1: That that makes it a unanimous could, decision. Not with my voice. Bonus question: With Martin Truex clinching on points, is he the favorite for the championship? Yes or no, Cisco? Oh, heck yes. James. Boom confetti. <laughs> Tom,
2: of course he is.
1: I'm going to disagree with all of you. Sunday's race proved then I'm going to put the four.
2: Oh, boy. He's on the Harvick. That yep.
1: It didn't take long to jump on
2: the bandwagon, did it?
1: I, I'm a believer in what I saw Sunday, and I'm I don't a believer in SHR. It, but Truex has to go
3: in as the Vegas favorite no matter what <laughs> happens in Phoenix off of everything else he's done this year. He might not win it, but he's got to go in as the favorite because he's been too damn good everywhere else.
1: You know what? I've never been one to believe the Vegas books, and I'm not about to start now. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And we're going to throw That's a true. checkered flag on this edition of Motorsports Madness. Thanks to Mike Garrity, Megan Cole, our social media partners at Three Wide Life, as well as Bob Steele, Susan Mason, Bill Holt behind the glass, and all the folks at PMN that make this show possible. So for Tom Baker, James Pike, Cisco Scaramouza, and Steve Ovens, I'm Jacob Seelman reminding you to check out racechaseronline.com for your motorsports, your way. Keep it off the wall. And, folks, if you're going to a racetrack, have have a safe race and weekend. Till we meet again.
0: You've been listening to Motorsports Madness with the Race Chaser Online crew. Stay tuned to Performance Motorsports Network for more race talk. For the latest motorsports news, visit racechaseronline.com. Motorsports Madness is a copyrighted production of the Performance Motorsports Network. www.performancemotorsportsnetwork.com a member of the Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated and may not be rebroadcast, replicated, or saved in any media without the explicit written permission of PMN. Check out our Facebook page or our section in the PMN website. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, co-hosts, and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the management and ownership of either the Performance Motorsports Network or Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated, the advertisers, or the marketing partners. Be listening again next week when the madness returns on Monday night at 7 Eastern. Until then, keep it off the wall and keep the shiny side up.